And we're live. Welcome back to another episode of the Wheelie Podcast, everyone. This week, we are actually sponsored by Pedego Electric Bikes, some awesome electric bikes. We're going to talk more about that later in the show. But first, as usual, I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I am joined by Electrek Seth Weintraub, who I believe is in Topeka, Kansas, doing something pretty cool. How are you doing, Seth? I'm good. Yeah, I'm in uh, Topeka. We're at the Electrek Formula Sun Grand Prix. Um, and I'm in the scorer's table. You'll probably see some uh, solar cars going behind me. But today's even more special because we have uh, Luke Workman, uh, battery expert from Zero and a bunch of other places uh, with us today. And we finally get to talk to him about uh, some of the uh, happenings in the e-bike world. Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Mikey, why don't you start us off? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, I think... Seth and myself uh, are super e-bike nerds, so we're excited to have both an e-bike and a battery nerd here to talk to us, uh, especially because now we can actually get to some nitty-gritty details here and nerd out. So, um, you know, we, we've got a number of questions about different areas of, of batteries in the industry. Mike, you dropped off a little bit there, uh, so why don't I why don't I take over? Uh, Luke, can you hear me all right? I can hear you just fine. Yeah, I was having trouble understanding Mike at you. Yeah, so... Um, you know, let, let's just start off with a background. Uh, you know, you I know you spent uh, time at Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, you you were a guru at uh, Endless Sphere. So, how did you get into batteries? <clears throat> well, um, I used to want to be a Formula One engine designer. Oh, interesting. All the work effort I was putting in uh, and and schooling effort was to make. Uh, higher performance internal combustion engines for formula one. And, uh, I had a, a moment of uh, realization that if I made a perfect internal combustion engine o- operating on a car, not cycle, I wouldn't be around uh, 66% efficiency or so if I made it frictionless and, and eliminated all pumping losses and all sources of drag, because there's a, a thermodynamics limit there. And in this situation, it means if, if you wanted to make, say, a thousand horsepower and and your limitation on a perfect design meant uh, that you'd have to make an extra uh, you know, 33% heat, waste heat to deal with to make that power. Um, and you have the same melting point limitations on your materials you're building your motor from. Uh, this means... You, you can never achieve the power density with internal combustion that you can with an electric motor. And uh, once I had that realization, I, I lost interest in Formula One engine design because uh, it was something that if, if you did perfect it, you still wouldn't have anything. Right. So for, like kind of a first principles approach, like mm-hmm. you're just never going to get uh, optimum with uh, internal combustion. Yeah. So- Spend your whole life fighting for another percent or two, and it still wouldn't make any difference at the end of it. Okay. So then uh, then you realized electric uh, drivetrains were the way to go, and mm-hmm. then where'd you go from there? Um, I started working in data center UPS battery backup systems for Microsoft. And uh, Interesting. Yeah, worked in a, a couple of facilities there um, doing UPS megawatt backup. Uh, double conversion UPS backup. So um, essentially you pull power from the grid continuously at megawatts, then you uh, convert this into uh, floating a DC bus bank, which which undergoes 
inverters running from that DC bus bank to, to power server loads in a data center. And uh, essentially it means that the servers never see utility power. So if utility spikes or, uh, or whatever, they're isolated from it. Um, so this, this got me started in batteries at a very large scale. And uh, I was an enthusiast at this point for building e-bikes and, and other DIY EVs. And uh, six years of doing uh, megawatt scale batteries for the data centers. And I left to do uh, zero motorcycles batteries in late 2010. So kind of at the genesis of the company, the company must've been quite small at that point. Yep. Yeah. It was a very small intimate team at that time. And uh, design work also was so fast because it was, it was very unencumbered at that point to, uh, to do development. It was great. And then from zero, uh, I, I know now you've got uh, a lot of little things going on or a lot of big things going on, but was there anything between zero and now that, uh, um, that... yeah, helping Joby aviation, helping Airbus oh, yeah. Bahana project, uh, working for Borg Warner, uh, working for a handful of OEMs that I'm not sure I should mention right now yep. because I don't know what <laughs> agreements have expired and not expired, but uh, yeah, it's been an, an amazing ride. And at the moment um, our research and development facility is focusing uh, well, over half of our, our work that we're doing right now is for space clients. So we have uh, both launch providers and uh, communication satellites and satellite tugs that we're doing battery qualification for and testing for. turns out not all cells like to run in vacuum. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah. that brings us to, that, to today. I know you do some consulting on uh, e-bike battery fires, and, and I think that's one of the areas we want to kind of talk about. Um, so obviously in New York City, there's been uh, quite a few uh, stories about battery fires, there's even been some fatalities, uh, some, you know, burned down buildings. What can you tell us about, like, you know, why does this seem to be happening in New York? What, like, what are the problems that are arising? How can, you know, how can consumers kind of, uh, you know, keep themselves safe? Waters, yeah. yeah. Well, essentially, uh, New York is a bit of a perfect storm from the perspective of, uh, cold enough environment that the the sidewalks want to ice up for a good portion of the year and streets want to ice up for a good portion of the year, but high enough population density that they have the budget to salt it every day. And so uh, this means the, the vehicles that operate in New York uh, are continuously driving through a salt spray slurry coming up off the wheels. You know, the, if, you're, if your bicycle is doing, say, 25 miles per hour forward, the bottom of the tire relative to the ground is doing zero miles per hour, and the top of the tire relative to the ground is doing 50 miles an hour while you're traveling at 25. So this, this top of the tire doing 50 while you're traveling is uh, flinging droplets off, and then the vehicle travels through that swirl of droplets, um, a, a turbulent cloud of corrosive droplets, which, uh, you know, ingress into uh, features of the battery, connectors of the battery, seams of the battery. Right. So, um, you know, if you don't have a perfectly sealed, like airtight battery, uh, saline 
uh, spray is getting in there, and that's quite corrosive. And and, and that's that's the other side of it too. Is uh, saying perfectly sealed. You know, we do um, mass spectrometer tests to quantify the rate of leakage on on different things, and even at the cell level, the cells aren't perfectly sealed. They're they're leaking electrolyte at a at a given rate. Um, if that rate is low enough to be acceptable, then it might make the lifetime of the of the pack using that cell without incident. Um, the reason I bring it up is is just because there are no perfect seals. Um, you know, there's, in fact, there's there's kind of a funny assumption. Um, folks will seal something to the point that it can pass liquid water ingress testing. Let's say that you submerge it a meter underwater to do an IP test. You know. Um, this is actually a very easy test to pass. It's a it's a test that most devices will pass with little more than uh, scotch tape over some seams or maybe uh, a wipe of silicone or a, you know a bit of hot glue here and there, and they'll pass a test like IP67 because again water submersion is the easiest of all tests to pass for for the reason that water when it's stuck to itself has surface tension and wants to stay adhered to itself and. Uh, when you have vapor intrusion, this is the killer, you know, so um, on an e-bike pack where someone can can say pass this IP test, uh, that same battery, every time it's simply warmed by the sun, even if it's not used, every time it's simply warmed by the sun, just, just sitting parked somewhere, that gas inside expands and it normalizes pressure with that expanded gas. So gas leaves the battery when it warms up. And then Every time it cools, you know, if, if the sun sets and the air is loaded with saturated humidity at the time that it's cooling, then it's ingressing this uh, humidity-laden condensate. And when it cools enough, it will condense out. And, and unfortunately, water doesn't want to condense where you would like it to. Like if the droplets would condense on the plastic walls of a housing or something, that would be fantastic because they're not shorting anything. But um, vapor condensates on surfaces with the highest heat capacity and highest thermal conductivity. So this means uh, the, the locations in the pack, which have metal parts, fine metal parts, and uh, if especially crevice volumes, because you have the greatest chance of collision with a vapor molecule to stick when you have crevice volumes. So um, this means as that pack wants to cool and it's uh, transitioning through dew point, um, inside between all the different metal points in that pack, it will have condensation uh, condense. And if, if there's a voltage potential across that condensate, then it can begin to cause electrolysis and lead to a fire. So what can uh, e-bike owners do to protect themselves and their batteries? Or are we simply reliant on manufacturers making better batteries? Well, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to say what can a consumer do to rely on it because I would love to be able to say, we'll get a pack that's past this standard, you know, this, this given standard, right? And then you'll have a safe battery. The, the sad thing is I haven't seen a standard yet that was useful or meaningful with relationship to uh, whether the pack will catch fire over its life, you know. The, the reason for this being most of the standard tests are completed in, say, uh, a one-hour period to a 24-hour period. And uh, to track corrosion phenomena that leads to fire, it's often a, a multi-month uh, you know, series of uh, electrolysis, salt path buildup, hydration of salt paths, and uh, you know, any, an eventual outcome in a molten salt bridge with a, a super ionic path, which causes a fire. 
but it's it's not something that you can test in that uh you know, e- even if you had unlimited budget and unlimited test equipment, simply following the time interval for the certifications of the pack would make it a use- useless test, you know. Right. So what is what is one to do? What is the future of the industry here? How do we uh, eliminate bike fires? Okay. Um, something I've never had to go do forensics for was a potted battery. Um, haven't actually seen one catch fire in the wild in my whole life yet doing batteries since 26 or 2006. Um, so essentially if you flow the, uh, battery assembly full of a monolithic resin encapsulation, monolithic polymeric encapsulation, um, you've displaced that cavity for humidity to ingress to and condense inside. So essentially if you fill the lungs of a system that was, uh, expanding and contracting with temperature to, to cause a breathing effort. You know, if, if you've, um, fill that free volume, it stops breathing. And if you fill that pre free volume in a, in a monolithic encapsulation, then you stopped that, uh, breathing ingress cycle and you protected all the surfaces from, uh, electrolysis and corrosion beginning. So this, this is one of the reasons why, uh, I like if, if I'm putting it in my own home, I only want potted, batteries um, for the reason that it's far too easy to initiate fire with, with again, like you mentioned, a, a little dribble of saline. Uh, yeah. A little, a little dribble of saline in most any non-potted e-bike battery. And uh, whether you get a fire that day or not, isn't the question, but it's, it's coming. Hmm. You, right. you put the salt traces in, uh, in the right areas that it's merely an atmospheric hydration uh, and, and temperature cycling away from progressing. Interesting. And then, I mean, like, you know, we don't kind of advocate for people to, you know, open their batteries and like dip them in, you know, plastic or anything like that. But, um, are there any like manufacturers that you can think of that are doing the potting? Well, um, for example, Luna cycles is one that, uh, Mm -hmm. after wire bonding and quality testing the pack electrically, it gets, uh, monolithically encapsulated in a resin they they also use uh, a resin one of one of my favorite types that it's loaded with 60 percent by weight endothermic fillers and so uh, you the resin itself is a polyurethane base that's uh, there to provide the the plastic material you could say once it's set to keep these uh fillers in place but the fillers themselves have uh an endothermic quench ability that's very high. So, you know, you might think of uh, phase change systems like a wax holder for cells, right? This this holds a, a tiny amount of thermal energy in that phase change from melting the wax to solid wax. In this case, we have uh, over a hundred times that phase change energy of melting a wax when we go from a solid to a gas with this endothermic decomposition of the filler. And, uh, because of that huge endothermic energy quench, it allows you to have uh, very tight cell spacing and be able to trigger thermal runaway on any of the cells or, or any even groups of the cells. And not only does it not transmit cell to cell in propagating thermal runaway, but it quenches and extinguishes itself with no firefighting efforts required. And so not only does the potting prevent fires, but in the event that you do have fires, even doing multi-cell initiations, 
Um, you can have a null outcome from that event where it was an initial uh, firework release and no further fireworks with no fire extinguishing efforts needed. This also stops uh, you know, the risk to human life and structure fires. Wow. From two mechanics, one one that the pack doesn't want to run away anymore and the other that uh, it's very difficult to get it to initiate. Wow. So uh, are there other battery or lithium chemistries that perhaps would be safer if the e-bike industry moved towards like lithium iron phosphate, lithium graphene, that sort of thing that, that could improve uh, fire risk? From the perspective of uh, a molten salt bridge fire, you know, being iron phosphate or, or high nickel, uh, the only difference it makes is in the, you know, one has a, a non-thermitic type decomposition so in, in a high nickel cell, uh, so we're saying an, a non-LFP cell right now, uh, you've got a, an aluminum foil uh, cathode current collector, which is coated in mixed metal oxides, uh, usually nickel, uh, manganese, cobalt, in, in, a, in a given ratio, often 811 today. But this, this has the ability to liberate that oxygen. Again, um, you might be thinking of a, a ceramic and you think, well, it's, it's got such a good bond with oxygen. It's so stable, you know, and unfortunately for a battery, if you had a, a stable ceramic bond, it wouldn't be able to share its oxygen's valence electrons to uh, be useful in the battery. So we have to have an unstable metal oxide. So they, um, you know, pair as much oxygen onto the cathode material as they can, as much free oxygen onto this cathode material and, you know, done in a vacuum furnace at high temperatures where you bleed in oxygen. But uh, the reason they do this is because that that loosely bound oxygen is what works in the cathode to uh, uh, interstitially uh, hold hold lithium for us. And so uh, the unfortunate side of that is, you know, if, if you ever made thermite as a kid, it's iron oxide and aluminum powder, you know, is the classic thermite recipe. And this is the same recipe except instead of iron oxide you're using nickel oxide and cobalt oxide uh and unfortunately they they make a better thermite than iron does and so uh <laughs> rather than having two two dusts together you've got one foil you know for your current collector together and it's maybe uh nine to 14 microns of thickness so it has a appropriate surface area ratio to make this single replacement ionic thermitic decomposition in in a phosphate you know essentially what that means is that those cells want to burn hot enough to uh to leave behind a slag of 1600 degree celsius molten uh nickel as a as a reduced ingot on on their decomposition product so it's a very high temperature failure and uh with an iron phosphate cell if the cell itself is going into runaway, then those temperatures are much lower. You know, rather than a 1600 degree slag, we often see, say, uh, 450, 500 degrees C as total peak temperatures in iron phosphate cells under runaway. So this is this is a very nice uh, reduction in heat. However, um, from the perspective of will the fire start still and and is that fire adequate to catch a structure on fire, whether they're iron phosphate or high nickel, um, it makes little to no difference on their initiation from the perspective that uh, molten salt bridges and ionic salt bridges start that fire from uh, liquid ingress through a means that doesn't involve the cell doing anything more than providing electrical power. 
And so an iron phosphate cell provides electrical power, you know, despite its chemistry internally being safer, it provides that electrical power into a electrolysis and molten salt bridge short just as well as any other cell type to start fires. Right. Okay. So not, not the panacea we hoped for. Half the forensics we've done have been iron phosphate. In, oh, in, wow. And I don't think that half the world's packs are iron phosphate. Oh, but uh, people often seem to take safety less seriously in their design if they go, oh, well, we have iron phosphate cells. And so we don't have to, uh, you know, validate anything or run any safety testing. And so Interesting. that's one of the reasons we see so many fires from them. And, and solid state stuff coming up? Is, is there anything there? Well, um, for NDA reasons, I'm going to have to not speak about <laughs> any particular products or cells. But, um, you know, we... <clears throat> I'll, I guess I'll just say, um, if I had to pick between going to a solid electrolyte or going to a compressed gas electrolyte, you know, between one of these phases having a higher thermal kinetic and, and ionic mobility, and one of these phases having um, highly trapped and restricted thermal kinetics and ionic mobility, um, you know, essentially, uh, I'm a fan of going the opposite direction from a liquid to a gas electrolyte, I would have to say over going from a liquid to a solid electrolyte uh, for, for that reason being that when a solid actually has, keep, keep in mind uh, a good solid electrolyte would let you set a chunk of lithium metal on top of it and have it just slowly drop through the material, you know, just, just drop through the table. Right. And um, the crazy thing is there are a few compounds that do this um, such as uh LPS, lithium uh, phosphorus sulfide. It's a, a somewhat common uh, solid electrolyte people do research with. So, so essentially when you get a solid to this level of reactivity where it would work as an electrolyte for you, uh, the safety of this solid it becomes so crazy. Like in, in the case of LPS, uh, it's lethal to humans at, at something like uh, sub milligram per kilogram levels. Uh, so if, if you breathe it, if you ingest it, uh, you're poisoned and die. If, if it's, if it contacts air, it's pyrophoric. So it burns on contact with air and it's also hydrophoric. So it burns on contact with water too. So, um, the idea that this will make a safer battery for the world by being solid electrolyte despite having it be a, a situation where if, if anything happened to mechanically damage the cell, the user will probably die and it may kill the others around them too. And I'm just talking at like this, a small consumer product level, not at a vehicle level. So um, yeah, right. in, in that case, you could say I'm less optimistic on solids, but um, you know, we, yeah, again, I guess I can't talk about the test that we're running, but. It's anything, not, out, anything good out there? Can you give us some good news? Like, what's what's the exciting uh, coming up? Super safe, like organic uh, rubber compound that somehow is okay. Or do we all have to pedaling? The salt batteries. I don't know well, something. Um, Sodium. So from a a feel good uh, a feel good answer on batteries here. Um, yes, please. So we're <laughs> we're testing different sulfur cells right now, and um, there's. Oh, sorry, sodium cells. Um, thank you, Erica. There's a, a handful of um, 
different chemistries that you don't run out of the ingredients, one of them being a, a sodium iron phosphate battery, for example. Um, you can actually, you know, A, they work and they work fine. By fine, I mean they're not as good of energy density as lithium, but uh, enough that you can build useful things with them. Um, so from from an energy uh, perspective and an earth crustal abundance perspective, we have no limit on the amount of uh, sodium iron phosphate batteries we can have. So, you know, there, there's folks that say, well, we can never have a clean power grid because we don't have enough lithium, you know, to, uh, to buffer the energy of the grid and using, uh, you know, chemistries like sodium iron phosphate, for example, you have enough uh, materials, you know, for everybody to have their own, multi-hundred kilowatt home storage battery and for the grid to be buffered both, you know, and uh, this this is a great opportunity from the perspective of uh, nothing nothing has to be a, a rare or limited abundance material in a battery. We, we use those because we get outstanding performance from using, uh, you know, rare and, and less abundant materials, unfortunately, but... Uh, yeah, we have we have a future that won't need that. You know, from a high performance perspective, of course, um, many cells today running uh, high silicon content anodes are reaching, you know, between say four hundred watt hours per kilogram to uh, seven hundred watt hours per kilogram, and even there, they're still not at a physics limitation. Uh, they're at the limitation of what's practical to to build and uh, manufacture into a cell and, and what's practical to manufacture for materials, you know, um, from a physics perspective, if you even build a capacitor with, uh, one layer thick, so, so, uh, graphene sheets separated by one layer of, uh, barium titanate, you can actually build a capacitor. That's not a physics problem to beat gasoline by three to one. Wow. Uh, energy density wise and it's a capacitor it doesn't even use ionic flow you just charge a dielectric so you have uh, you know theoretically decay and degradation approaching zero and temperature stability you know that's that's very high too uh, the so that's that's something that's not a physics problem it's something that's a manufacturing problem to make something that's one layer of graphene perfect you know with barium titanate and one layer between it right so um, that's that's something very bright about energy tech is it's not um, most most of the things you're dealing with aren't a physics problem in particular. They're a materials and manufacturing and what can be done for a low dollar per watt hour problem over uh, there being an, a, a limitation on what we can do with our uh, our particular atoms and molecules we've got here on Earth. All right. So the, the future might hold some answers, though, for us, you're saying. Yep. Yep. Okay. And, and certainly, like, you know, from a first principles perspective, there's, there's ways to get to where we need to be. And, and that's, that's the good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a physics problem. You're not up against, you know, trying to defeat gravity or something. You, right. uh, you just have to have very, very formidable manufacturing challenges, material processing challenges. And, uh, you know, th there's also the electrolyte silver bullet additive too in that uh, many chemistries simply were impractical and infeasible. You know, maybe they don't 
plate smoothly. Maybe they uh, they dendrite. You know, there's there's lots of weird problems that stop other cheap chemistries from working. And yet, um, sometimes the the strangest additive you wouldn't expect, even in a concentration like 0.1 percent, can it completely eliminate those uh, un, unwanted def- effects that are occurring in different cheap chemistries? And this can be a complete game changer for even old chemistries that have been tried since the sixties or whatever, you know, uh, may or may not have uh, the ability to, to work well in the future. Awesome. Well, uh, I think, I think that gives us a a really good lay of the land. Luke, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Um, If uh, people want to get a hold of you, uh, you're Luke Workman LFP on Twitter. Uh, I know you have, uh, a bunch of other like what what is your endless sphere uh name again live for physics live for yeah. physics yeah there's lot, lots of uh great ways to get a hold of you um thank you so much for being on the show um maybe maybe we'll, we'll get you on uh again here soon luke workman everybody take care all right uh so on to the regular uh piece of our show um we are looking at uh, so, so read us in, Micah. Yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, a number of interesting stories this week. Um, Eurobike was last week, so we've got some updates from Eurobike, including testing out Fuel's newest electric bikes. Uh, we just heard about the first e-bike with chat GPT integrated into it. And if you're wondering how that could possibly be integrated into an e-bike, stick around. You will find out. Uh, and then on some slightly larger vehicles, CSC in California has a speedy new electric scooter, uh, Vespa style, not standing style. Uh, we've got a new electric motorcycle that's going to integrate Tesla's NACS uh, charging plug. And lastly, we're going to finish with one of the uh, awesomely weird Alibaba electric vehicles of the week, which uh, might get a bit wet. So uh, we're going to start off here, I think, with uh, fuel, right? Yeah, first ride, fuel, fluid two and fluid three electric bikes change the game. All right. And that's, if you're not watching this, that's fuel with two L's on the end because it's a sort of a play on Eric Buell's last name, B-U-E-L-L, the uh, legendary motorcycle builder. So uh, Eric Buell started uh, fuel e-bikes and these are the second and third models from the company. And they went a new direction this time using a mid-drive motor from a automotive company called Vallejo. They make parts for all sorts of other uh, automotive OEMs, but they also make e-bike motors but this specific motor is very interesting because it has a built-in gearbox. So uh, as you can see in this video here, we're using a Gates uh, carbon belt drive, but we still have several gears with a, a multi-speed transmission, even though we've got a belt drive, which is normally tricky to do without a rear hub. So it's a really cool integration, and it puts everything right in the center of the bike. You've got your motor there, quite powerful, 130 newton meters, and you've got your automatic shifting gearbox. If you don't like automatic shifting, which some people don't, you can still manually shift the gears. It's electric shifting, so there's a button to shift up and down. But when I was testing it out, I really enjoyed the uh, predictive shifting because basically all you do is pedal. It's like you know if you've driven a manual and an automatic car, it's it's the same thing. Once you know you get into the automatic car, it's like you don't need most of your brain anymore. You just push the gas and the car figures it out. Same thing here. You just either start pedaling or give it throttle for the North American version. And the bike knows when to shift. It knows, you know, what cadence the motor should be at, that sort of thing. So a really, really nice high-tech motor and gearbox solution there. 
that actually works really well. It took them a little while to sort of like fine tune it. Um, both Phileo and Fuel were working together a lot on that, but the end product is is really quite nice. One downside to me, it's a bit loud. So, uh, you know, you really hear that gearbox kind of winding up. For some people, they'll probably like that because it's, uh, you know, a little more connection to the bike. It kind of feels like almost uh, a bit of a motorcycle in that way, sort of hearing the the motor wind up. Um, not nearly as loud as a motorcycle, but for someone who comes from, you know, very silent e-bikes, it caught me off guard. All told, though, you know, a very nice bike. Uh, Gates Carbon Drive, really nice Tektro hydraulic disc brakes, uh, two one kilowatt hour batteries on the larger model, the step over, so two kilowatt hours of capacity. This model we're looking at is the step through, so it's only got one one kilowatt hour battery, but still plenty for most people, I think. Uh, so all told, you know, really nice bikes, a bit pricey. Uh, they start about 50, I think 5,500 bucks, but they're, you know, very, very high end bikes designed for people that ride every day, you know, always going to work, always commuting kind of thing. So I, I'm, you know, really impressed with what they've built here. What do you think of these models, Seth? They look great. Uh, what did you think of the, the, you know, the quality of the, like, I noticed the weld there. Um, what, like, did these bike feel like? top-notch quality-wise? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the welds could have been a little bit nicer. These might sort of be the the pre-production prototype frames. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the, you know, the build quality, uh, the componentry, I mean, they ride the way I would expect someone who's used to building motorcycles to build a bike in that, you know, nothing's creaky, nothing's, um, you know, feels weak at all. It all rides like a solid vehicle to me. And and weight-wise, they look like a little bit heavy, but... Are they are they crazy heavy? What's the weight on these? So I don't remember the weight off the top of my head, but it is quite heavy. Yeah, that's the downside. Um, mm-hmm. They also have a lot of um, you know extra components, even things like uh, the built-in mirrors, the larger LED lights, that kind of stuff. Like it adds a lot. So that's the downside. The more you put, the heavier it gets. Not to mention one or two one thousand watt hour batteries. Yeah, uh, I know having an integrated uh, motor into the the pedaling makes the uh, the sensors, the torque sensors, uh, really like you always get the best experience that way. Is that what you found as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pedaling was beautiful. It has a throttle. I was using the North American version they had there, but I almost didn't use the throttle at all, you know, often just to get started, um, especially from a stop, but it it just pedals so nicely. Even then the, the nice thing about the predictive shifting is it automatically downshifts when you come to a stop which I'm terrible about. I often forget to downshift and I'm stuck in high gear when I need to get rolling. Yep. Yeah. My, my coffee shop is at the bottom of a hill and I always just fly in there. Don't think about getting gears. (laughs) And then when I start up again, I'm always in trouble. So that's nice to have. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Moving on. Uh, Here are the coolest e-bikes and other things we saw at your bike. Obviously we just saw the fuel, but uh, what else we got? Yeah, so there's a whole bunch here. I highly recommend that uh, anyone listening go check out the article because there's probably 20 different things here, but we can uh, pull out a few here. It's always great to see Rayvolt and Excite. Yep. They're sort of uh, sister companies, um, and they're just, I mean, the design is is incredible. Rayvolt is more of the sort of uh, almost steampunky with a lot of like brass and, and uh, copper accents, though they combine that with Catalonian leather work. Uh, they're a Barcelona-based company, so just really beautiful bikes. And then they started uh, Excite, which or Excite, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, but that's their sort of more modern, high-techy bikes, though they've got a lot of that tech in the Ray Volt as well. So uh, just a really cool uh, Barcelona-based company that builds 
really, really nice, highly engineered e-bikes. Uh, always fun to see them at a show. And usually they've got something new hanging around. So um, uh, it's always great to catch up with them. But then there was, uh, you know, a lot of different, um, some cargo bike options. Uh, the Elio's got a mid-drive and a front pump motor. So we've got an all-wheel drive bike there with two motors. Wow. Um, a, a lot of sort of interesting things that, uh, but especially in the cargo uh, realm, we saw lots of, uh, of really neat uh, cargo bikes, higher powered bikes, bikes with uh, really big cargo capacities. Uh, Benno here had a bike hooked up to an Airstream trailer. So I guess if you wanted to go on the, a somewhat minimalist vacation, you could do that. Um, <laughs> like to the backyard. Yeah, you're going to like this one, by the way, Seth. So Greenway, they're a battery manufacturer that supply a lot of big companies. So, you know, you, you might have a Greenway battery and not even realize it. They've got this dock that you can put your battery in, and suddenly it's a power station. So you can plug in your devices, um, both like, you know, 110 volt uh, AC and smaller, you know, your laptop, your phone, that kind of thing. And uh, so there are actually a few companies that were doing that. Uh, the next one there, Molly, also has a uh, sort of a dock situation with their um range extender battery it only has one single USB-C port so you're kind of limited on what you can charge with it but you know at least they're going in that direction of giving you a second use for your e-bike battery so uh, it's cool to see companies expanding into that sort of power bank add-on to their existing e-bike batteries yeah and that's kind of like what uh juiced uh kind of showed us about a year ago but we haven't heard much about it since then yeah we got to uh, follow up with them on that um ducati was there with their uh their crazy bikes yeah yeah crazy expensive crazy expensive um, turn of course we love their uh, cargo bikes yeah also expensive but i'd probably rather buy a turn than a ducati bike uh and that's their new hsd so it's even um higher weight rating uh, a little bit more expensive now it used to be sort of like their their lower to mid-tier bike but now it's moving a little closer to the gsd but it's got, you know, 400 pound weight capacity. So you could bring, you know, multiple kids on the back there. Plus they've got a lot of accessories. That's cool. And Angway was there on the other side of the price spectrum. Yeah. So they're, they're a little cheaper. They've got this really interesting bike. Um, it's got like triple suspension. So there's a normal rear swing arm, but then there's also suspension down in front of the seat post there. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. But, it looks like they have, multiple batteries too like is it seat post battery um that's a good question it does look pretty chunky uh, i was so distracted by the suspension that i missed that that might be a second battery wow okay a lot of lot going on there yeah um so comodule was there uh they make the electronics that power a lot of the connectivity and bikes like recent molar super 73 cake um this was a new one for me here my boo they do bamboo e-bikes um nice it's just like beautiful. I mean, each one is kind of unique in that way because it's a natural material. So I don't it's know like too much if, about it, them, but it's pretty. If Gilligan's Island was still happening. This is what they'd be riding around the island on. There you go. Yeah. Uh, right, this, we'll, we'll... this might have been one of my favorite cargo bikes. Look at this mechanism. It's like a narrow, normal bike when you don't need it to be a cargo bike. Is that magnetic? Uh, no, there's like a, a locking clasp there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's really, really slick design. Oh, Acer was there. Yeah, so they're showing off their EB, I think that's how you pronounce it, EBII bike. Um, it's got the uh, single supported wheels, and it's a really nice looking bike. It's not quite production yet. Hopefully by the end of the year they can get it out. 
but um, it's a it's a slick looking design, and it's always fun to see these from companies that don't normally build e bikes because they often come in with different ideas of what a bike could be. Yeah, and Acer is known in the PC world for making very low cost, uh, high quality products. So hopefully uh, they can do the same in the bike world. Yeah, and uh, th- this was my favorite non bike uh, product of the show. I would say is the solar scooter, and it's got a solar panel on uh, both the deck and the uh, steering tube there. It'd be perfect for where you are at the... I was just going to say, like, that would be very popular in these parts. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised, actually, there's not a few... That should be like a pit bike for, like, going around the pit there. That would be perfect. The official pit bike of the electric solar... There you go. All right. Um, Kilo. Yeah, so this is not a bike at all. The, The company makes bikes and scooters, but they had this little quadricycle Jeep thing there also that really caught my eye uh and their motto is less is more i don't know how to pronounce it in french it's on the back of the little jeep bed there but uh really cool sort of like minimalist uh quadricycle jeep that they're going to be producing by the end of the year so that was neat that's interesting the steering wheel looks like it's in the middle so like the passengers can just help you out like my uh like my wife always wants to do (laughs) all right 10 ways cargo one yeah, so Tenways is really known for like low cost entry commuter bikes, but they just unveiled this really nice looking front loader bike that, I mean, it looks like an Urban Arrow or mm-hmm. um, like a Gazelle, which are, you know, very nice high end bikes. So this is coming from a, what's normally like a thousand dollar cheap, you know, entry level bike company. So it's, it's neat to see this one. I think it's going to be expensive, like 4,000 bucks. So don't expect entry level prices, but certainly a lot cheaper than an Urban Arrow, which is like what, seven, 8,000, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, when I, we were talking to um, Upway, they said cargo bikes are expensive, but shipping them is like doubles the expense. So it's always like it's always hard to to, to get uh, those prices down. Yeah, sixty. Uh, yeah. So last and perhaps least here is sixty, um, <laughs> which is looks like some sort of almost like an Archimoto, but this is technically, I think they consider it a bike because it has pedals. It looks like a zero motorcycle motor in the back there, but up front there's pedals connected to a generator. So theoretically the race car driver sitting in this is pedaling and that's translating into like a throttle signal that controls this 75 mile an hour three wheeled car. (laughs) Yeah. Pedaling at 75 miles per hour. That's, that's, uh, that's always going to be fun. Yeah, with what looks like an 80-kilowatt motor in back. So well, there you go. A lot of interesting things at Eurobike this year. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of a, a FOMO thing going on. I kind of wish I could have made it um, this year. Yeah, there was a, I will say if if you couldn't make one, this was the one to not make because while we saw interesting things, unfortunately, there wasn't the same level of innovation we've seen in previous years. You know, the level of, of new motors, new products, new, you know, anything here it was really more just like out of the box designs, you know, bamboo bikes, weird 75 mile an hour go-karts with pedals. So hopefully next year we see companies come back in with, uh, you know, more updated products and, and some more innovation. Totally. All right. Let me uh, talk about our sponsor real quick. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Pedego Electric Bikes, America's number one electric bike retailer. Pedego believes in making e-bikes easy to use and incredibly fun to ride. That's why they offer extensive selection of over 20 bike models, each with endless customization options. No matter your style or preferences, Pedego has the perfect bike for you. 
That includes the Avenue, the company's newest model designed with classic European look paired with modern features. It has a 500-watt motor, 48-volt battery, and a range up to 56 miles on a single charge, making it perfect for commuting or leisurely rides around town. The Avenue comes in both 28-inch classic and step-through frame and a smaller 26-inch step-through frame, making it accessible for any rider. With over 220 stores across the country, that's quite a bit, uh, staffed with knowledgeable and local experts and dedicated service technicians, Pedigo ensures that you receive personalized attention and support every step of the way. Pedigo also offers a five-year warranty on all e-bikes, which is among the longest in the market. I'm actually not sure if anybody has a five-year warranty that I can think of. Uh, in July, Pedigo is running an exclusive promotion for electric listeners. That's you guys. You can save up to $500 on the bikes, including their newest bike, the Avenue. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Head over to pedigo.com or hit up the link in the show notes for more info. Thank you again to Pedigo for sponsoring this week's show. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I think the one thing Pedigo might not have is ChatGPT. All right, ChatGPT, the first electric bike with ChatGPT unveiled. And it's weird as it sounds. Why would you put ChatGPT in a bike? Yeah, so uh, that's an excellent question. Artopia has decided to integrate ChatGPT, kind of like I think it was Mercedes that integrated ChatGPT into their cars, and you could like ask the car stuff, like "What can I do on my trip?" kind of thing. So it's the same idea here with Artopia that um, I think the idea is you could ask it like for directions, or you could ask it like, you know, how many calories do you burn on a bike? I mean, I. I think it was more of a, a chance to like be the first to do something than to offer like a real innovative, helpful solution here. So um, I'm not sure that this is going to be something that really adds a lot of value for a lot of riders. And even chat GPT itself isn't sure how it feels about this. Cause at the end of the post, instead of giving my take, I asked chat GPT what it thought about uh, e-bikes having its own service. And it sort of gave a wishy-washy answer. So um, I'm not sure even ChatGPT is too excited about itself being inside of an e-bike. But I guess it does point to the fact that Utopia is really trying to stay at the cutting edge here. They're one of the first companies to put like fingerprint unlocking and, and stuff on their bikes. So um, props to them, I guess, for doing something out of the box. But I'm not sure I'm going to be asking my e-bike uh, to you know find me a recipe for cheesecake anytime soon. Right. Uh, and of course you have your phone if you ever want to do something like this. So exactly. Not, not the, uh, you know, not the like change gears, chat GPT or what gear is best for that. Not that. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on CSC ES five launched as a speedy seated electric scooter, taking a shot at the major competition. So CSC, they've been around for a few decades. Um, and they're a, a motorcycle dealer out in California and like five years ago, they got into electric motorcycles and scooters. Their newest model here is really quite compelling. This is the ES5. It gets up to about 52 miles an hour. And it has uh, three removable battery packs totaling something like uh, five and a half kilowatt hours, I think. So quite large. Um, I mean, that's going to be enough for something like probably uh, 60 to... 80 miles of range, depending on exactly how, how fast you're going. Obviously, you know, the faster you go, that's going to really cut into your range. But uh, that's more battery than you'll find on any other scooter at this price. 
and it actually looks pretty good too. Like compared to you know the new scooters or something like that, it's coming in uh, significantly more affordable. I think it's um, fifty. something like that. So uh, a comparably priced new scooter would be above 6,000. And this one gets you more range. It's got more power. It's got a mid motor with a belt drive instead of a hub motor. So it's not a nice things here. Uh, It also has one cool feature that I wish I saw more, which is a dash cam integrated into it. So you can Mm. have it constantly filming on loop. So like, you know, if heaven forbid you ever gotten in an accident or something, like you could prove what happened or, you know, someone cut you off and, that sort of thing. Um, or you can just like, you know, catch a meteor on your ride kind of thing. If you right. see something cool. Hopefully it's, you know, for cool uses and not like your honor, I submit to the court kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, uh, the, the three, three removable batteries, are they like, uh, you know, batteries we've seen on other bikes where you can pick them out and charge one while the other two are being used or how does it's it a work? Good- yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure yet. Uh, I'm guessing they're going to be kind of like, if you remember when we were at Eurobike a few years ago and we tried those, uh, I think it was Kumpan scooters that had like the briefcase style mm-hmm. uh, three batteries. I'm guessing it's going to be kind of like those. And I think you could run those on two batteries. Um, I know with my new scooter, if I take one battery out, it can still run, but at a lower power level. So mm-hmm. it might be like that here because it just doesn't have as much um, uh, you know, power capacity when it has fewer batteries. But the nice thing is that because it's it's divided that way, you can actually get more capacity in because I think somewhere around like one and a half to two kilowatt hours, um, it starts to get pretty darn heavy to actually carry a battery. Right. So, uh, you know, by dividing into three batteries, it might be tricky because you don't have three hands, but at least they are physically removable as opposed to companies like Silence, a Barcelona scooter company that uh, they have a five kilowatt hour battery but it's one battery and it actually has wheels because it's, it's too big to carry around. Yeah. I guess you got to wheel it into the elevator or something. Um, this looks like a super compelling uh, scooter. Um, I really don't understand why Vespa and Piaggio and all the others haven't jumped into this market, but if they're not going to do it, I'm, I'm wishing the best, best of luck to CSC. I think for $5,000, it's pretty compelling set up here you're almost going highway speeds um you've got the you know modular battery system looks really good any downsides here um so because csc only has their california dealership they're just outside of la and azusa uh there's not like a nationwide you know service network they do have a massive warehouse full of spare parts i've seen it and so Anyone who needs a part, they get it out to you in like two days by FedEx, but it does require you to do your own work or take it to a, you know, a motorcycle shop to have something done on it. So, you know, they don't have the same way, like, for example, Vespa, you know, there's going to be a pretty large network of of shops sort of thing where you can get servicing. Um, But like, you know, when you bring up Vespa, I think they have the Electrica, but it's like seven, eight thousand dollars, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's, I mean, the price here is just so much better for the performance 52 miles an hour for a city scooter who needs more than that right and and it's you know 2000 or uh 1200 less than the new uh, mqi sport extended range yeah uh, with better performance with better performance yeah that's pretty impressive uh we're going to see a review of this anytime soon hopefully yeah they're not going to be uh coming in until i think october or november if i'm not mistaken but uh, hopefully by then I'll be able to get on one. Cool. All right. 
moving on. Uh, first electric motorcycle maker signs on to Tesla's Nax charging network. Oh, is that how it's pronounced? Nax? I mean, that's, Fred and I have been doing Nax, so. Okay, well, I'll follow you guys then. So yeah. Um, yeah, this is uh, the, uh, it's called Verge Motorcycles. This is a really interesting motorcycle because it's got a hubless rear wheel. So the motor is actually in the rim of that rear wheel. But the big story here isn't the motorcycle this time. It's that they've signed on to the Nax charging network, which uses Tesla's plug. And Seth, you know a lot more about this than I do. So can you tell us a little bit about how that plug became not just the Tesla plug anymore? Yeah. So uh, just a quick background on it. Um, Tesla had its own plug network. And then there's the CCS combo network, which is a much bigger, clunkier thing that kind of designed by committee. Um, Europe's got one similar it's called the ccs2 um they're they're you know like what i said they're designed by committee they're huge and chonky and tesla was like honestly it seemed like they were going to go along with uh the ccs2 at at one point but then something changed and tesla said hey look we're going to open up our physical uh plug to be uh you know for other manufacturers to use it and then we heard nothing about it um, we were wondering if it was like a Tesla, you know, ploy to try to get into um, the, um, you know, the federal uh, tax or federal uh, money for charging. And they were, you know, kind of trying to use a loophole that, hey, we're standard. But it turns out uh, they were really pushing hard and they got Ford about a month ago to sign up. And then a few weeks later, GM. And then once GM and Ford were on board, it just like, dominoes started following and recently the uh society of american engineers is that what sae stands for i think it's automotive engineers automotive engineers uh recently said that they would take over the standard and uh you know kind of run the standard from there uh which means that uh a whole lot more uh automakers and chargers um signed up so now pretty much everybody in the industry is behind Tesla's connector as the new um, means of charging. And I, I imagine the other manufacturers that use uh, DC fast charging will move. I mean, for motorcycles, it makes even more sense to have a smaller uh, receptacle. Um, you know, smaller parts on a motorcycle are, are, are a bigger difference. So uh, Verge uh, motorcycles is the first to kind of announce it, but I would anticipate that Harley and uh, really anybody else who uses um, both the J one seven seven two charger and also uh, the CCS combo will move to um, Tesla's connector uh, because you know in three or four years every charging outlet is going to be a Tesla connector. So yeah, and I was actually really surprised by this. I mean. So Verge Motorcycles is a very small Finnish company, so it's not like they're really going to you know, push the motorcycle industry forward. But the reason I was surprised is because the motorcycle industry has historically lagged far behind the automotive industry when it comes to adopting new technology. Um, a big example often is anti-lock brakes, which was like you know, a decade and a half or something longer it took to make its way into motorcycles than cars. Um, even just looking at electric motorcycles, you know, the market share compared to electric cars Electric cars have, you know, basically become mainstream already, whereas uh, electric motorcycles are still a very small segment of the market. So I was sure that, you know, motorcycles were going to take much longer to uh, to adopt the Nax uh, connector here. But if uh, Verge Motorcycles is any indication, 
Seth, you're, you might be right that we're going to start seeing companies like Livewire, uh, maybe Zero Motorcycles signing on. Though with Zero, it's probably going to be trickier because I, I think that their battery architecture, or at least the voltage is too low to uh, to accept faster charging. Though perhaps they could charge at lower rates using the same connector. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not just the fast charging. It's also the J1772. So, um and, and it's easy to make adapters for going both ways so that, um, you know, you, you would probably have a Tesla adapter, but you would have a J772 adapter just like every Tesla has now. Um, you know, at some point, everything will be will be Tesla, though, or NAX, or NAS, uh, depending on how you pronounce it. Yeah. So uh, we have one more story. Let me move that here. Yeah, this is the uh, Alibaba one, I think. I'm excited for this one. All right. Uh, low-cost one-seater mini electric boat puts it big thrills in a tidy package. Please tell me this is art and not... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is Bauer's work, I'm, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah, yeah. Props okay. goes out to our uh, graphics guy, Michael Bauer, who uh, worked his magic again this week and put me in this 5-foot, 11-inch mini electric jet boat. This thing looks incredible it's got a 15 kilowatt motor uh basically it's like a jet ski put into a little boat hole and it goes something like 30 miles an hour which considering most people are taller than this boat is long i don't know about the stability at 30 miles an hour there's actually a video at the end so you can see what it looks like when these things are rocketing across the water yeah there's a. Uh, I mean this this definitely looks like it could go wrong quickly, but I will say that until it goes wrong, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, it's an expect- expensive fun, though. These things cost $10,000 before you go through all the importations. So, you know, you might be looking at like a $20,000 boat there. But if you want your electric kicks on the water and something that you could practically fit in the back of an SUV, this is probably the one to go with. Yeah, uh, and that's that's kind of nice when you think about like a lot of the problems with uh, getting these uh, Chinese vehicles over to the U.S. is shipping. But this one is you could fit a, quite a quite a lot of those in a in a container. It looks like. Yeah, or like taking it to the beach. You don't even need like a trailer. You just no. like, have it hang out the back of your trunk. Yeah, or you get a Silverado and uh, <laughs> put it in the back of that thing. There you go. Or maybe in the the Blazer, probably fit instead of a hatchback. Yeah, that that's a hatchback. I don't know if it would fit top to bottom. Maybe it would. It's not that. It is quite small. Yeah, it thing's tiny. I think you could do it. That that might need to be a another video we do at some point. Okay. Yeah. Will Will the boat fit in the back? That'll be the. Uh, so almost a four kilowatt hour battery lasts thirty to fifty minutes. That seems reasonable. Um, probably not at full speed. Yeah. Um. Well, it does say peak power. I mean, we, we're, t- we're taking the vendor out of their word here, but uh, okay. it does say peak power. So probably closer to the 30-minute than the 50-minute <laughs> peak power. Um, the battery itself weighs 50 pounds, and that is about half the weight of the total package. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, so, the, the boat itself is pretty light. It's 77 pounds, just the boat. That's impressive. And it's five feet, 11 inches long, which is the exact length of the Silverado uh, rear end, the Silverado EV. So that's uh, bad. Perfect for that. They should have had one out there. And you could charge it from the back of the Silverado, right? Yep. You're charging on the way. I'm going to send this to Chevy 
as soon as we get off this podcast. Yeah, there's the next collab. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay, so, uh, uh, I don't think I'll be getting this one anytime soon, but if I do, I will let everyone know about it. Yeah, we're definitely going to do a group buy if you get one. <laughs> I, I think I'll be in on that one. And you said the price is 10000 bucks. That's a little high. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a, a specialty item, though. So, you know, this doesn't, yeah. doesn't grow on trees, these electric uh, mini jet boats. And the red, yellow, blue lines on the side, does that any add any speed there? I, I don't think those go all the way front to bow, so uh, okay. or bow to stern, so I don't think you get the, the racing stripe advantage. Okay. That's all right. Well, that's – yeah, that, that's it for uh, this week. Um, and actually, we don't have uh, too many comments, so we'll just end it right there. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back in two more weeks for the next episode of the Wheelie Podcast. See you then, everybody.